0: happy new year everybody from the fantasy animation podcast it's Alex here I hope you had a great uh, celebrations into 2024 or indeed if you're listening in the future 2025 2026 2027, and so on and so on God if I'm still podcasting at that point um, do send me an email and tell me to stop um, we've got a very exciting year coming up on the pod we've got lots of um, episodes um, in the can already that I'm really really excited to share with you all I'm um, including this one which is a really Real treat for me, at least, um, but a treat for Chris as well. We finally did the Dark Crystal, the cult puppet classic from the nineteen eighties that I've been desperate for us to do for some time. We also did it with a really special guest from the British Library um, to time in with their uh, exhibit on fantasy, which runs till the end of February. You'll hear more about that in the main pod. Um, just one note before it goes: we recorded this at the library itself. Um, they were very kind to have us over. It was just before Christmas, um, and because we were really excited, and because everything was going really well, so. Something had to go wrong, and of course it did. Um, there was some hiccup with the microphones. I haven't even quite worked out what happened, really. Something to do with one of them not recording properly. Mine certainly didn't pick me up very well. Anyway, I've been through it. I've had a good old go. AI got involved at some point, um, and then got uninvolved because it wasn't working very well, um, and I've done my best Um I sound quite echoey. Chris sounds annoyingly good and crisp and and, and clear, Um, but but, but you can hear everything, okay? Um, But bear with a bit of sound problems and a few sound difficulties. And as I said, we did record it in the library, so you might hear some background noises or or, or a weird sound here or there um, as part of the conversation. Um, Yeah, so apologies for that, but but you'll be able to bear with it, um, and it's a really great discussion. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your reactions. Enjoy the show! Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent.
1: And I'm Chris Holliday.
0: Chris, today we are doing a film I've wanted us to do on the podcast for quite a while, The Dark Crystal, Yeah. Madison's... Um, fully puppeteered classic from the 1980s, dark fantasy spectacular. Um, I guess we're going to get into the perennial debate as to whether puppets count as animation or not. Um, So I'm already excited to hear that. We do that again, even though we've already done it on the show. Uh, Yeah,
1: we do it again again and we do it better.
0: (laughs) Uh, Anything you're particularly excited to talk about this week?
1: Uh, I'm excited to talk about your work on the film's animation. Um, So I get to sort of sit back and enjoy you talking about the film in relation to kind of puppetry and, and I guess things about sort of the way that we might think about like the sets and the costumes as um, I think people have talked about it in relation to kind of ar- archaeology material. We have a history of effects and we have a history that you can kind of reach out and touch. So a bit about labour, a bit about animation, a mm. bit about puppets.
0: Cool and, and we're doing it at a good time. We are. Um, if people are fans of the, certainly those who are UK listeners and are fans of the Dark Crystal and want to see any of these uh, uh, costumes, uh, set designs, and, and learn more about the history of the film, there is a fabulous new exhibit on at the British Library uh, entitled Fantasy realms of imagination and it runs till the 25th of february 2024 so those who are listening to this have a month now to go and buy their tickets yes and we are joined
1: with Phil- we're here we're here and we're, we're doing it in the British we are
0: uh, and we're we're thrilled to be joined by tanya kirk who is the lead curator of fantasy here um and is responsible for some of the uh wonderful uh, exhibits in the in in the new ex- exhibition but particularly the stuff on the dark crystal that i was most interested to see when i looked through it a few weeks ago so tanya thanks for joining us Hello. on the show first um Thanks for having me. No, we're thrilled to have you here. Well, yeah, we there. are. We're really excited to talk about the Dark Crystal with you. I guess because it's timed with this um, exhibition, and and there's some really wonderful items from the movie on display. Um, and your exhibition, for those who haven't who aren't, haven't come across it before, sort of does this really ambitious thing of kind of trying to tell the kind of the map, the history of fantasy, mm-hmm. kind of within Britain, but actually kind of across the world yeah. as well. It's a really <laughs> ambitious but really wonderful ex- <laughs> exhibition. Yeah. We've already got an hour with you, so I don't think we can go into all of it right now. Look how
1: excited he is, (laughs) Look, Alex. This (laughs) is like fantasy. This is this is you, isn't it?
0: My people. Uh, Anyway, yes, but uh, I'd like to just ask you about the dark crystal and why you were so keen to get that film, uh, this weird little eighties movie uh, with puppets in it, into the story of kind of the wider world of fantasy and, and how that came about.
2: So I guess there's two things to say. The first one being that, um, so the, where this appears in the exhibition is a section that looks at the history of world building. And we really wanted to get across what uh, how much craft goes into world building and that it's not just, um, you know, everyone knows that lots of fantasy novels come with a map, but yep. they don't necessarily know how much goes into that and that people are designing maps that go way beyond the world that is actually portrayed in the novel. Um, for films and TV, often world building is just so immense. People are kind of creating a uh, whole like backstories, cultures, creatures, um, histories, like uh, mythologies. It's all kind of it makes the world seem real to us, and it's. But it's also like a really beautiful process where people are coming up with all of this stuff, and it's. Um, I think The Dark Crystal really epitomises that for me. It's such a kind of well-crafted thing and it's so well thought through. And it all looks so kind of like lived in and not shiny and new, but like it kind of exists outside the the film itself. And that's what I love about it now as an adult, but also it was my favourite film when I was a child. (laughs) So that was the real reason why I wanted to put it in. And I used to uh, bamboozle my parents by putting on my Christmas list the crystal shard from the Dark Crystal. they always been like, oh, what do we do with yeah. this? She's, um, she's put it on
1: there again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. in the exhibition. I yeah. finally got it. Excellent. <laughs>
2: um, online.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> For you and your, your child self. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay, wow. So you decided to, to that you wanted it to be part of the story. Mm-hmm. You're the creator of fantasy. I mean, that that is a good job. Uh, but, <laughs> but... So, what do you do then? And just for those, because I reckon there'll be some listeners who are interested in, in the idea of being a curator, but might not know what it means beyond the, the kind of title. How yeah. does one curate yeah. an exhibit on fantasy, particularly here at the British Library? And also, what did you go about in terms of items to do with the Dark Crystal? Where did you source them? Um, I'm assuming you didn't have them in house. No, we didn't have them
2: wrong. in yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so my lead curator of fantasy is only kind of my temporary role while I work on this exhibition. I do have a kind of a normal role at the British Library, which has a very long job title, the curator printed heritage collections 1601 to 1900. Um, So that's my kind of normal job, which I can talk about later. Um, But my uh, role on fantasy was to lead the curatorial team on the exhibition. Um, So work out the storyline, source all of the exhibits, write all of the text, um, kind of make sure that it all made sense and was kind of laid out well in the gallery, worked with designers, uh, and then promote the exhibition around the opening time. So, um, yeah, it's been really exciting. And sourcing Dark Crystal things, it, we were really, really lucky that uh, we had an advisory board for the exhibition and on, on that advisory board was Terry Windling, who is a kind of amazing fantasy author and really important, significant editor of fantasy as well. And she is a neighbour of Brian and Wendy <laughs> Froud, who are the uh, production designer and one of the puppeteers on Dark Crystal. So um, that link kind of came through Terry. Um, and they, so a lot of stuff is owned by the Henson Corporation, um, some of which is in London, which, so we borrowed mm-hmm. two artworks that were by Brian Froud, but are now owned by the Henson Corporation. And then the costumes they just had in their house. So.
1: Um, yeah. So
0: for for a limited time, people come and see the stuff that's normally hanging in Brian and Wendy Rhodes' yeah. front room. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think the no, because we've wanted to talk. I think on this podcast, we've talked a lot about fantasy and animation in regards to curation and curation mm-hmm. almost being this missing link between people at universities talking about things and putting things into particular categories and saying these things fit into, this is animation for these reasons. This is fantasy for these reasons, or this is a Western for these, this is a science. So there's that happening. In universities, and yeah. then there's, um, and also university um, academics kind of claiming that things aren't those things that that doesn't fit into that category. Um, and I think we've talked about animation and fantasy in terms of how it's been curated on things like a Netflix things, or actually anything from from Netflix to the shelf of a library. Where where does a book on fantasy and animation sit, and what are some of the interesting um, kind of politics with the small p of putting that book in the fantasy section rather than the animate? You're making claims about where things mm. go and then then you have kind of the act of curation itself which is people can people can talk about things that are or are not fantasy or things that animation animation is not a, a genre is the big one yeah. but actually if you go onto Netflix and Amazon and what yeah, an- animation is absolutely is. a genre and it functions in the real world like a genre so rather than reject the way that things function generically you go well maybe it functions like a genre for some people in some context so yeah. i think we're always really this idea of curation what you you're you're choosing to put a film let's say and it might be something that's close in terms of your childhood but also that you want to best represent the idea of fantasy and the realm of imagination that that fantasy as a mode as an impulse as a genre brings so actually you're doing and this sounds really ridiculous to say but you're doing important but actually like the importance of you making claims about things yeah it means that we can now point to something and go well that's that that's fantasy because you say it is, yeah, and it's been 100%. curated like that.
2: Yeah, we we've had we have had quite a lot of comments from people who said, um, "Oh, I'd never really thought of these things as Classic. fantasy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and people have said like why have you got Utopia by Thomas More in the exhibition when obviously fantasy did not exist in 1516 that's not a kind of it wasn't an established genre until way way later yeah but um, what we wanted to look at was like what fantasy takes from these kind of earlier forms of storytelling and how it's like using those things to enrich itself and and become like a more interesting genre
1: well I suppose all of these things or these the way that I guess the curation of these objects like fantasy involved tracing genealogies and finding proto-forms of these things but that's surely how genres work anyway you have that chaotic, well any cultural, you have the chaotic early period where you're going, I don't know if that's a thing but maybe it's a thing, Mm -hmm. then you have the sort of classic period whether it's Disney, whether it's whatever it is that sort of canonises some of the classic text and then you have subversion of the thing. and then by the end of it you have absolute extreme postmodern genres flipping back on themselves but that's how that's how things move through the world so you can curate fantasy and say and and when people ask why isn't that included you go well I can kind of trace these little threads and this is how this is kind of how genres are alive and mobile and they're not historical they are well sorry they're not ahistorical they're historically contingent because they're feeding off all these other art forms and there's these really interesting cross-pollinations between different forms of fantasy so it's sort of I suppose one of the good things about exhibitions like this, and it sort of you problematise in a really productive way what people think fantasy is. It's not, and you do this anyway in your own work. It's not just dragons and orcs, and it's the bit at the end of Greece where the car flies up for literally no reason <laughs> yes. and you're like well th- well, that's fantasy that's my goat that's what i'm teaching fantasy i'm like it's not it's so i, I really like the this side of curation is this really interesting middle ground between what people think something is and what people say something is and then you in the middle mediating those discussions he's
0: also got a really good staging ground to kind of allow people to kind of make those links organic yeah what i loved about seeing the dark crystal um items t- and it's towards the end of the exhibit yeah. that it that it turns up is I'd seen I hadn't seen obviously these items before because I've not been in Brian and Wendy's front room uh, yeah. alas uh, but um, I have seen sort of other because there's I mean there's so for those who are fans of this movie there's so much world building we're going to get to world yeah. building a yes bit, we um, are uh, kind of material out there um, in terms of both what they had to do to make the finished thing, but also write the kind of pre-production stuff. yeah, And it's often contained within exhibits on special effects, which are fun as well, like, yeah. you know, and I'm looking over to my co-host to make sure he doesn't get too offended, <laughs> but like what that does, it's all kind of put within this kind of, um, the development of kind of, you know, of, of special effects and, and what you can lose when you see these items in that when it's put up Mm. against, you know, a Terminator costume and uh, kind of all the other kind of fun creature effects of the 80s and things like that, is it's all about technical innovation. Yeah. But but where's the imagination? Where's where's the magic? Um, And these costumes are magical. Like, you know... That's um, one of
2: the things I really love about The Dark Crystal is that it's also kind of analogue because they were just inventing stuff and it was all just... if you there's a there's an amazing documentary on youtube about the making of it which uh i watched recently and like i didn't realize that there were sort of five people below every single person like Mm -hmm. maneuvering or bits of the costume because you know they didn't have the kind of effects that we have now but it makes it all seem so much more believable and I, i guess it's the kind of um it's why the original star wars films people people love those effects that were like created by them shooting up ping pong tables whatever it was they did but they hated jar jar binks you know it's that like
0: it's just so much more real to people yeah mm. yeah there's a tangibility to, yeah. to it yeah that, that absolutely um and you mentioned the word craft yeah 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 uh we're very interested in craft i wonder if you could do you want to start by saying what you're a little bit more about how what you mean by the word by that works it's such a it's such an interesting word and such a useful word to apply to something like The Dark Crystal I think you're right. It's it's a film full of craft. Yeah. yeah. But-
1: but you also, and you also wouldn't say that, it, it, going back off, you, you wouldn't say Jar Jar Binks is crafted in the same no. way.
2: No. I think it, by craft, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the word because I think that um, in the past, people have been kind of sniffy about it and thought that it was, well, it's not art, is it? It's just, it's kind of... Um, patronized a bit but craft i think is a more kind of collaborative process maybe Um, with the dark crystal it was a real like coming together of people sharing their skills and um kind of furthering the goal of the overall film through that Mm -hmm. um and just like really practical stuff like they were making things out of nothing they were making things out of um the augurer's or- orrery was made out of glued together the prototype was made out of glued together muppet eyes from the Muppet muppet workshop like they were just like kind of yeah. spiriting these things yeah. um out of random stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's incredible. Yeah.
0: It, it's it's you're right so it's, it's such a it's a word that's often so um, it's used um, derisively and and, yeah. and and it's and it's often you know there's lots of scholarship on this but it's often it's, quite gendered. Ge- it's often gendered. Yeah. yeah. It's yep. often gendered. Yep. Um, it's a form of artistic labor that's not valued as much as well again if we go back to this kind of the the, the VFX exhibitions would not be a celebration traditionally of craft whatever that word means. It's a celebration of usually Single technical ingenuity, right? Well, again, not that they are, because a yeah. lot of these costumes look beautifully crafted, yeah. but that's not how they're framed. That's not how they're curated. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is this film is a celebration of craft. I think those special. I, I suspect I know the documentary you're talking about. I think it was on. The DVD of it when DVDs. Oh, was used, it? Was I don't it? know. No, no, yeah. Right. Of, course well, wrong. of course you do. Of you know. It's about forty-five minutes long, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and there's loads of stuff on the kind of workshop floor, and the yes. workshop is a useful term.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah.
0: I think the film when the film came out, that was a real huge part of the publicity of the movie because they really wanted to get across this kind of the labour of love of this kind of this world built yeah. on the screen. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, this yeah. film, we haven't set up the plot. I'm sure listeners who are listening to this, this is not the best way to be introduced to any movie. So, <laughs> so I'm sure by now they've seen the movie. They, they usually have. But, but perhaps we could start by kind of, uh, if you can, give us a sense for those who haven't encountered it or need reminding what the film is. Yep. Uh, maybe we should start with that 20 minutes in. Uh, and and why, why world building was this thing that you just felt like you needed to go there in the exhibition?
2: So it is. It does literally take place in another world, which is called Thra, mm-hmm. um, and this world is uh, kind of had a split, and that has. Oh, this is going to be really hard to explain. <laughs> that's, why we, <laughs> is, that's
1: why Alex got you to do it. I know. I think. <laughs> yeah, sitting that smug <laughs> now. Yeah, a, sh-
2: a shard broke away from the dark crystal, yes. uh, and uh, in that moment, the kind of. Um, some of the main inhabitants of this planet are split into two kind of races, um, which are the Skeksis, uh-huh. which are the kind of evil, lizard-like, um, scheming, kind of unnatural yes. beings, and the Mystics, which are these kind of beautifully spiritual, uh, lots of like Celtic kind of symbolism in them, and uh, they're like gentle beings. Um, there's a prophecy that the... Of course
0: there is, always is.
2: there's loads of classic fantasy <laughs> yeah, tropes yeah, in yeah. it. There's a prophecy that uh, a gelfling, which is a kind of a, a, different, a different race, like a more kind of humanoid figure, um, kind of elfin person, will bring about the end of the Skeksis and heal the crystal. And so the Skeksis have historically wiped out all of the gelflings. However, they missed two, <laughs> and that's the premise: is that the two gelflings come together uh, to try and find the crystal shard and then heal the crystal. And it's kind of quite a like a, a simple classic fantasy story, quite slight. They it's only like 90 minutes long, mm-hmm. um, but it's just all about the look and feel of it as a film. I think that makes it special. It's
0: well, first off. Amazing synopsis. <laughs> Chris, we can learn from that. Um, uh, second, uh, I think it's. it's The film's. I, I loved the film as a kid too. Um, and I think the film is Lord of the Rings esque. And I don't mean that in a derisory way. No. I mean in, in two ways. One, the plot is obviously quite Lord of the Ringsy. It's a quest Gel- to
2: find a thing, Gelflings to do a are thing. are a bit hobbity, yeah. uh, shards short. are a bit
0: ringy, yeah. uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, See, I
1: went with Ewoks. Carry on.
0: Which also are also a bit hobbity, but yeah, fine. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 okay. Um, and, but I can see the Ewok connection in terms of the puppetry. Um, so yeah, all right, okay, he's nodding. Um, <laughs> and so there's that, uh, and it's kind of what post, it's post sort of 1960s, sort of 70s Lord of the Rings craze, so it's right in yeah. the heart of kind of fantasy and mysticism and counterculture and all this kind of stuff. But it's also Lord of the Rings-esque in the more important sense, in that, yeah, all right, that's the plot. Yeah. But it's the plot is really a kind of um, a guiding post yes. through a world. Yeah. And really the pleasure of the movie is these intricate felt people's beings, cultures, civilizations, worlds, yeah. uh, worlds within worlds that you encounter as you see this quite easy to follow story. I, I, I think the film, people, I know you are, like a lot of people think it's really weird and quite hard to understand. Yep. It isn't hard, the plot is quite easy to understand what feels m- dense about the movie is just this sense of a a world going on yeah. that we're only Yeah, really way partially, beyond, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of similar to Loring's in that respect. Yeah. So mm. I guess, one, just to affirm my own geekdom, is that also kind of your experience of watching the movie as a kid? Is this idea yes. that it's not so much the plot that's fascinating me, it's these creatures, it's these worlds, it's that thing on a rock over there in the yeah. corner of the screen? 100%. Uh, and... <laughs> How did you then? Uh, when did you start to encounter the kind of story of the Dark Crystal, as in how they built this this world on screen?
2: I, well, I only really started researching that to do the exhibition. I just always loved the film, and then I'd kind of never thought that much. Like I had, I had no idea that. Um I had no idea how any of the puppets worked or anything. I didn't realise the gelflings were like someone's hand up them, like a Punch and Judy puppet. Yeah, yeah, it all blew my mind, finding out more about it. Um, I think one of the things that I find really interesting about it is the settings. So, the way that they kind of contrast the world of the Skeksis, which is this kind of very artificial, they're in a Castle, it's kind of quite i dunno. it's it's not kind of like a rich surrounding because they there's nothing in it, it's all very kind of organic, but it's um it's kind of courtly, I guess. And then in contrast, the world of the gelflings and the mystics and the pod people is all very rooted in the earth and the pod people which are literally like based around potatoes. That's what that was the inspiration for them. Um, and that kind of very beautiful landscape that all came from um, Brian Froud's surroundings in Devon, where he lives, um, kind of that made fantastical. I think that makes it really, that's kind of a really special thing about it. Mm. Uh, and then the other thing that I really love is the creature development, and as you'd expect from a Jim Henson film, so much went into that, and um, like the ways that they developed those creatures and and they got mime artists to do the puppetry so they could kind of get them to move in a way that um, was most suitable for each Mm -hmm. type of character. Um, They had like a team working on each type of creature so they were kind of developing every aspect of that creature from like facial tics and it's all so well thought through. Yeah Yeah. I've
1: I've I've lots of just things want to ask, <laughs> to. so I think uh, yes. Going, so I think that the uh, the world building it's almost like there's two le- registers of craft. One is the craft of the puppets, and then there's the craft of the world mm. the, of the world building. So yeah. we 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 love world building. We've talked about um, kind of I think this drew of fantasy and animation. That the assumption around a lot of animated films is that obviously you only see the. It's, they're only going to animate the bit that you see. They're not yeah. going to animate whatever. Um, but the logic of world building or the convinc- the best worlds are the ones where you reali- you believe that the world has organized itself into a series of stories and you just happen to be watching this one. Yes. And things happen and 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 things are in the background, but they could connote. And there's, there's a lot of writing on video games that talks about internal logic and coherency. And if you see a, a video game where, and you're passing through a level that has like, one well, an open world that has ruins, then you're like, okay, so the, this world has a past and things, things have become ruined. Maybe it was a war. What did people war about? Maybe it was religion. So maybe this is a world where... So you start to kind of fill in the gaps and you build the world. And, and people writing on film worlds have talked about that worlds exist in a way where you build that could never have existed in front of the camera, but you only need to sound, hear the sound of a motor car to figure out that this is a world of the industrial revolution and like There are things yeah. that... that I, and we've talked about this, where writers like Victor Perkins are like, well, world, film worlds are often worlds we built from... Things that go without saying, yeah, I could just assume if I see a police car, I know that there's a justice system and all the kind of things that are connoted by these sorts of things. So I agree, I think in fantasy and fantasy lends itself well because it perhaps has to to these kinds of Mm -hmm. you need an internal logic or you need a coherency because you need to know when things are atypical. Or abnormal. Because, you need
2: to not have people just constantly distracted, being like, "Well, how does that work?" Yeah, then? because then it's not real to them
1: anymore. Yeah, wait till they hear about fiction. Wow. <laughs> um, so there's there's the the kind of internal lo- So I yeah. I so I like the idea of so I can I get what you mean about the idea of kind of it, the world is crafted as much as yeah. the the pit puppets within them and stuff. So there's a, a real attention to the way that that um, cultures. I think you said cultures being civilizations. There's the mm. That all, feel, that all rings true. And this is why we, realism, we don't care about realism, but we care about authenticity and credibility and coherency and believability and logic and all this kind of stuff. Um, and also, so I think all the stuff around craft, around labor and skill and materiality and the imperfect and the gendered element is really important, the kind of domestic, there's the, the association with the handmade and craft and all these kinds of things. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think, and, and, and also pantomime. So I was going to say that you said that the mime artists and things like yeah. that. So, yeah. So I got... Because a lot of... Not only were the first animated characters built on kind of silent performers. Yeah. So you have... But silent performers were then also in these cartoons. So Felix the Cat meets... Oh, yeah, Charlie yeah. Chaplin or yeah. whatever. Um, because animation is a silent medium. Because the drawings don't make any noise. And the computers... Well, the only noise they make is when they're about to explode. Or the, though the heat. But... Um, all animation is a form of performance, and therefore, and it's also all, all all pantomime. It's all it's all pantomime, and that's and so I and I wonder whether this kind of film, because I'm trying to think of what an exhibition of Pixar and the making of would look like, and it it doesn't it won't it would just be a series of computers and printouts. Yeah, and it wouldn't have that. It ha- so I don't know, there's something really interesting about animation is, is this, and particularly this kind of puppet animation as a form of pantomime and how important it is, because I noticed the characters the cast, it comes up with the cast and the first bit is the character performers Yeah, and I thought that was re- the voice actors. And I thought that was just a really yeah. interesting way of thinking about performance in this film So yeah. I got excited I just think t-
0: if the dark, if, to use the Tolkien analogy, it's a glib one but it's just helpful to unpack what we're talking about here I mean, people talk about *The Lord of the Rings* as kind of being a kind of fantastical sympathy of, of sim, sim, not sympathy, symphony. Sim, I can't say the word today. Uh, orchestra of, of language. Uh, so
1: that word was symphony.
0: Before I messed all that sentence up, I was going to say something really good about language, but I think I've just demonstrated the limits of language there. Uh, but yeah. you know, *Lord of the Rings* is, is, a, is a world of language. You know, it, very famously, he invented the language. Yeah, the yeah. stories to tell you. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if that's *The Lord of the Rings*, I think the paradigm with the dark crystal, which I think is worth taking really seriously, but people often don't, is that the same thing happens with the dark crystal. But what we have here, right, it's like a um, a dance, or it's about movement and bodies, yeah. and, and and it's if you look back on the kind of how they come up with this world, it's very much they start with the creature, yeah. and the, okay, if we put this still on and we put this on, what kind of movement can we get out of this? And yeah, like, what like well, we can say about like sort of like yeah, how. It's a world built on a kind of fantastical Mm. play with movement and and space and movement, but also the craft around that and things like that. Well,
2: I think for some of the characters, they came up with the movements first and then they designed the character around how that movement could happen. Yeah. um, So the Landstriders, in the exhibition, we've got an amazing design for Landstriders that Brian did for the film. But he came up with that idea because one of the... um, kind of puppeteers who was working on the film was um, a stilt walker as well and was kind of messing around in the workshop and he saw him walking on stilts and thought ah oh, I can create a character around this and then realised that um, walking on stilts lets you actually move really fast because you have very long legs uh, so the land striders and they're kind of fleeing um they can move really fast and it and they also look so otherworldly these they're on four stilts, so they've got stilts on their arms as well. Um, and it, it, it looks amazing and so weird. But, it, yeah, it just came from him seeing someone messing around in the workshop.
1: That feels really specific to, to, to this yeah. kind of puppetry, yeah. this <laughs> world of move Because, uh, you know, you have films. So I, This is more con- contemporary computer animated films. So you, yeah. you, you take an object like a lamp. And then you cast, and you figure out how it would move as a, as if yeah. it were a parent, let's say, yeah. or or what would a child lamp look like. So you cast an object, and then work with its dimensions. You don't change the dimensions. You don't elongate the. You you work with the limitations, and that's kind of what a lot of these movie be animated films do um this seems absolutely fundamental not just well this seems like to go back to exactly how these characters are conceived as you mm-hmm. say you you're trying to work within a set uh, out of these constraints comes all sort of this creativity which and it seems to be quite specific i, mean, I know that you've written on puppetry, but it seems quite a specific way of, of thinking about animation that it's actually perhaps the in many ways like the purest form of animation because it's all about movement and that's really what animation is
0: yeah yeah, and it comes across in the other characters, isn't it? You've got the kind mm-hmm. of the skeksis who are kind of yeah, these sort of gnarly, yeah. little, r- almost rock-like. Lots of lots of sharp shapes and yeah. pointy oh, yeah. angles, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult to uh, to kind of describe the aesthetic of it, isn't it? But it's, it's and that.
2: loads of clothes, like because there's mm. the kind of clothing in it is um, like a status symbol. So there's a there's a battle and the. Uh, to become the emperor, and the chamberlain loses. He's one of the main characters, and they strip him of all his mm. like gowns, and that is a complete loss of status for him. So yeah. it's all this kind of possessions making you more important. And um, yeah, it's a really yeah. that's a really
0: interesting sequence because um, it's kind of towards the beginning of the movie. They're sort of establishing the mythology of these creatures. And this emperor who is gets stripped, as you say, gets stripped down, th- and then there's a, yeah. it's the chamberlain, isn't it? The chamberlain, yeah, the chamberlain with loses. the most terrifying noise in the world. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, um, let you do it once, but I've got a podcast. Oh, so I was going to say. <laughs> I, 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 I think we've just found our new uh, theme tune. Uh, yeah. Just saying.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, yes, him. Uh, and and that shot of him removed of these ornate clothes is at the same? Is is it? Is so weird, particularly as I remember watching it as a child. Because yeah, it's both um, terrifying because it's this still kind of, kind of scrawly, kind of dead bird, almost like the sort of thing you'd find in like the local park and wish you didn't. Yeah, and quite pathetic at the same time. Yeah, like it's this, you know, there's, there's, it, it's uncannily unthreatening because there is threat there, but it's, yeah, and that's a really interesting metaphor for these characters because that's exactly what they are they're kind of built up and bunched up and mm. and, and they're kind of layer upon layer and layer upon layer and, and to create this thing that's sort of never re- it's like hollowness to them kind yeah. of moral hollowness uh, 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 whatever hollowness And but if you watch the performers they're kind of having to perform yeah like and under all this of, stuff
2: mm. yeah so it's, it's amazing that you kind of get this amazing mm. Uh, sense of movement when they're just covered in like yeah. layers of
0: clothes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's and it's that restriction, isn't it? It's that sense of things like that. And that's completely contrasted with the mystics who are these kind of much more kind of um, earthbound, um, I was going to say the word relaxed, but not relaxed, but kind of stoic, calm. Plodding. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Chanting often, things yeah. like that. And again, their performance is much more kind of um, gestorial, much more kind of open armed, all this kind of stuff. So it's it's definitely this really interesting imaginative use of movement that yeah. the film is. I mean not even to mention sort of you know Frank Oz as um, as Olga yeah um, anything you want to say about Olga while we're on oh, Olga oh yeah she's amazing um, yeah <laughs> what an interesting Gandalf like to have this kind of yeah. uh, <laughs> kind of feminized but not really sure what gender Olga is or even if, if Olga. Oh, she's hasn't. definitely a
2: woman. You reckon? I think so, yeah. Okay. Um I I really like that character because I it would have been I think really easy for them to just do some kind of very simplistic like the evil characters are really ugly and the good characters are kind of attractive looking and um, non threatening. And then she is the most terrifying looking <laughs> Person, Um, Mm. but is obviously this amazing, um, strong powerhouse uh, for good. Yeah. And kind of helps them out.
0: Yeah, and not graceful in any way, shape, or form. You would have thought they might have gone that way, right? This kind of sage, oldest time kind of presence in the world. But she's kind of like constantly ducking under things. Yeah, and takes
2: her eye out and uses (laughs) it to look
0: at things. <laughs> and like just just sits down. It's like sort of like you know, like getting into a chair at the end of the day. Yeah. Kind of, there's a groaning mm. um, age to her. I love um, it Yeah. And then there's like and then to keep kind of keep going on this sort of movement. There's the um, Jen, the gelfling. Yeah. And I remember in maybe the same documentary both watched, maybe not. Where there's a, there's a whole bit about them trying to get the walk of yes. Jen right because they're kind of constantly walking like they would like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Mm. They so do exaggerate exaggerated that. I'm Yeah. Kind of Bumping up and down in my chair um, uh, because I've forgotten that this is a podcast. Um, yeah. I'm enjoying but, it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, but and, but that doesn't come across like so. They basically to, to make Jen Jen, they have to kind of try to kind of still it back to as little movement as possible. Mm, yeah. And that's all. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and also um, Jim Henson's performing Jen, and it's like a big
1: man yeah. <laughs> trying to perform this tiny elf yeah yeah, yeah. I, I so i'd i this is interesting because i was thinking a couple of times in the podcast we've talked about 1982 but what was happening in 1982 e.t the dark yeah. crystal tron the thing snowman the snowman wow. uh conan so something was happening and also to continue the thing grease too but um the other films uh it makes me think that we've got a bit of puppets. um, We've got kind of animatronics. We've got obviously Tron and digital technology. We've got snowman and, and sort of that kind of painterly drawn pastel. And and it made me think that there's 1982 is basically just loads of different films using different animated Mm. forms. Um, and different ways of, of, of characters performing so the way that you've and kind of acting out trying to figure out how these characters perform and how how do you make a digital object perform how do you make a puppet perform and also this idea of kind of gender yeah. um of, often gender is o- gender is often signpost and when I teach gender and kind of queer theory and queerness and we talk about Bugs Bunny and drag and it's like if rendition people have written you know that renditions we think that of of a character in drag. He's Boggsman is performing um, femininity in this particular moment, yeah. ignoring the fact that he performs masculinity ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, because everything is a before every. It's all a rendition of something. So this idea of sort of masculinity and femininity have to be performed in really interesting ways. And I'd never thought about it in relation to when you just said Jim Henson, who's a big man. So he's having to... It's sort of a form of drag. He's having to perform, but through the puppet in really interesting ways. But there's a a lot of writing on gender and animation talks about something. It's all a performance. So it's all being... Kind of heterosexuality or masculinity or femininity is as much a rendition as homosexuality and queer. Like, it's all... It's all a performance, or it's all performative. But that sort of cross, kind of cross gender performance, where you yeah. have male performing as female, and how you then articulate femininity in quote marks well, through Jen, puppets. Well, Jen
2: is a boy in that he's just a small elfin boy. Right. Okay. Oh, right. Right.
1: Right. Right. But you have, I suppose you have yeah. the ways in which you're trying to translate the movement of one yes. body into something, and, you, and you're having to. It's like the the thing with puppetry is that the puppet exists between you and the the audience. The audience and the puppeteer are both trained on the same thing, which is very which is not like ballet where you are performing and you are being watched. In in the case you you're are trying part to be of invisible, it. yeah. So you're yeah. you're part of this like um, uh, network of different ways of looking like and performances. So the character is being performed by a puppet and you are watching. And but both of the animator and the audience are trained on this object that is in performance, and you're having to translate all these big movements or these into really dainty. Yeah. So I th- I find that really interesting, but I never really thought about the implications p- potential implications for gender what would happen if yeah. one performs as but anyway interesting well
2: Fra- Frank Oz um, performed as Augurer and and he's Miss Piggy and he's Miss Piggy and yeah. you, there's a in the documentary I'm sorry I'm going to keep talking about this there's a little clip where you hear his voice instead of the voiceover um, and uh, it's like yeah. Miss Piggy yeah, <laughs> performing yeah. it's no, really absolutely, funny yeah 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 you're like <laughs> oh okay Miss Piggy's on
0: set yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, know, I know exactly the bit you're talking about yeah <laughs> yeah yeah interesting I remember i um Doing some research on this a while ago, and I remember tracing the kind of reception of Jim Henson throughout the '80s and sort of late '70s. And obviously, like mm. so this is '82, yeah.
2: but they'd been working it for five years. They've been I working it for five years, yeah. and obviously,
0: we had the Muppet Show and things like that. So, Henson, dumb. Yeah, like yeah. Of yeah. Uh, uh, and I remember like there's a really interesting shift in the reception of the of the Henson company thanks to this movie. And that if you read kind of uh, write ups on the Henson company sort of in the mid 70s when the Muppet show is massive yeah. it's all about them as performers which is kind of which is important and I think we've done justice to it but you can yeah. see I'm transitioning to talk about the other aspect of the movie that I think your exhibit shows off really well um, and there's this kind of like you know it's almost this kind of spontaneous kind of myth of about like it's great you just turn up on set and they just pick up the puppet and, Miss and off they go yeah. like, you, know, like, you know they're such great improvisers and, performers, yeah. and it's like basically it's like, it's like the Henson Company are just, um, you know, like a Punch and Judy show, right? There's yeah. like a little uh, stage, they all get behind it and off they go, you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it this film played really well for them because it was a big demonstration of their roles and effects. Because, you know, this is yeah. the same time they're making um, movies for, other you know, bits for other yeah. people and all this sort of stuff. They become, a, for a very brief period before kind of CGI come in. Ruin everything. Yeah. Um, they were the kind of you know go to how do we make a how do we make a monster? Or we get the Henson Company in yeah. to do it right. Yeah. Um. So this was a film that kind of allowed people to see them as 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 creators of 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 all kinds of kind of um, special effects, for want of a better term. You know, they're not just performers. Yeah. Not there's anything wrong with being a performer, but it's it's and it's the craft, of the world that we've alluded to already that. Um, that often I think comes across in, in, in your exhibition, and often when and they did a lot of kind of you know exhibitions a bit like this at the time, kind of yeah. touring all the art galleries and things like that to show off all these costumes and all these things yeah. and all these mm-hmm. props that they built. Um, there's a question coming, I promise. <laughs> um, uh, and the question is, I guess, um, given that this is at the British Library and a yeah. lot of your exhi- uh, exhibition tells the story of the kind of literary fantasy yes there's a lot of lovely 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 he stresses um pages in books and ornate manuscripts and old book and you know the, the the history of fantasy on the page that you so wonderfully demonstrate is any of does any of this this kind of this 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 sense of the physical fantastic the sense of the kind of crafted fantastic was this any part of your decision making in terms of we need something in there it's not, the only, it's not the only thing in the exhibition. No. There's lots of other... There's some other th- movie props and there's lots of other bits and pieces like that. But is there yeah. anything that, that you're like, okay, actually, this is part of the story of what we're trying to tell here, you know?
2: It definitely is. And I think we are always really wary of um, doing exhibitions that portray books as being in a kind of a weird silo, like mm. they don't relate to the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, partly because I think if we just if we did an exhibition that was a hundred percent just books and cases it would not look very fun for people we want to really get a mix of media in there but for fantasy I think if we'd just done books it would have just been really a tiny part of the story because the whole point is that um it's a genre that lends itself really well to loads of different formats and um at the moment it's it's everywhere mm-hmm. and it using all of these formats really well in different ways. Mm. Um, so we've always really been keen to kind of include more visual elements and, and um, stories in storytelling in different ways. So like
0: through performance rather than reading. So how on earth did you whittle down? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many? I can't. I can remember exactly. There's about three. Three. Did you manage to squeeze three or four bits of the dark
2: crystal? You so it, I got I got six things oh in. I think When I saw
0: it, I thought someone <laughs> likes this movie who is is involved in this thing because yeah. Um, yeah. because there's a there's a decent amount, just enough for it not to be weird, but the exact yeah. right amount to show off the skill of this movie. But I six think is it's still like... a tiny amount compared to the amount of stuff they made. Oh yeah, there's so loads. How on earth did you whittle it down?
2: Um I just, I picked things that I would have been super excited to see as a child on the basis that there were a lot of people who were a similar age to oh. me who <laughs> would feel the same way. Um, and I really, I just really love um, Brian Froud's artwork and wow. Henson Company have got loads of that. And I picked two things that really spoke to me because I really loved the Landstriders and the, the other piece of artwork we've got is um, Urak, the scribe, who's one of the mystics. It's just a really kind wow. of beautiful design. Um, and I really like um, where they've ended up in the gallery they're opposite a Kelmscott Press book which is William Morris's private press um, and he was super inspired by these kind of medieval um, designs and the kind of craft of making things by hand and I'd feel like those things they they weren't, I didn't kind of consciously put them really close together. They just ended up that way in the gallery, but I really like the way they kind of speak to each other. Um, and they're also near the uh, a amazing collection of material that we've got that was written by the Bronte children. Um, so the three sisters and their brother Bramwell um, about their imaginary world that they created in childhood. That again is kind of interesting from world building perspective, but also through this kind of like a community, creating a world which i think again speaks to like Mm. the dark crystal and the way that they created it all in a community
0: i think community that yeah thank you for mentioning community we should talk about because that's the other important aspect of craft that makes it different from some of these other words we might use to describe kind of effects is that it's not it's not the byproduct of an individual it's not creative genius it's the sense of a a crafting you know people uh, which mm. I think helps the, the... It's the Henson Workshop. It's not yeah. just Jim Henson. Um,
1: uh, no, I was just thinking about, again, I think there's this... Obviously, that if you've got lots and lots of different... fantasies, as you said, like is is a, is a kind of multimedia enterprise, let's yeah. say, that fantasy reaches across all these different forms of, of animation and also, you know, um, kind of literary. But, but I, I guess there are certain invitations that puppetry make and i probably put stop motion in a similar category Mm -hmm. that there are certain invitations that that puppet fantasy or crafted fantasy or as alex would call as part of his chapter crafted wonder you are welcome (laughs) um that 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 opens up a conversation of the community, the ver- the community is very different to like the the like produ- the production line. The production line of of, of Pixar, they try yeah. and make it this like fun place that people are riding around scooters, and you're like, yeah. well, that's clearly where are all the women like. So there's clearly <laughs> something going on with the with with the way that the image of of or, or the imaginary of certain kinds of animated media. So that Pixar and Disney have a particular way of of building their worlds, and obviously the mythology around around Jim Henson means that you're trying to curate a history, you're trying to kind of do, do fantasy justice but you're also trying to do justice to the wonder that fan like the, the, the curation part is you trying to pick things not that best represent fantasy yeah. but best represent our experiences of fantasy which might not be the same thing because there are things in fantasy, like obviously there are so many special effects in the movie in terms of like mattes and paintings, but that doesn't represent yeah. the way. That's not the fantasy of this film. The fantasy sure. of this film is the is the puppets and the creatures and the communities and the world that these inhabits and the and the um the kind of tensions between these different characters. So I think the the idea of like I think puppetry and stop motion invite a particular maybe it's the materiality thing again that that we, makes fantasy tangible. But they make a di- they they invite certain readings in ways that that disney and pixar don't and i think that's because of the cell and the the wireframe digital image and then the puppet that you press and and in this film that you know puppets bleed it would seem and so so that that sort of thing that sort of these bodies like these are these are bodies that matter and they're made of matter
0: it makes me think of uh you were talking about um tanya about the connections you can draw almost just sort of as a as a visitor of the exhibit. Yeah. Um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes just organically, mm. but but help to kind of pe- make people join the dots between a William Morris book.
1: And, yeah, exactly.
0: And, 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 and I, I think well, two things to point out there is that one, just to uh, also fly the flag, the kind of, you know, the, the the British flag of this is that another thing, obviously, that you're quite, that it's great that you do is that you're championing some, um, you know, UK labour within this, yeah. you know, this yeah. film. Of course, is, we keep saying it's Jim Henson. It is a Jim yeah. Henson movie. It's made at Elstree Studios, though. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a British work of love as much as anything else. So so, so that's great that it's, in, it's part of that kind of... Um, story quietly but the other thing is is this this idea of, of, of the craft and labour and labour creating the fantasy I mean there's loads of writing I think Mar- Marina Warner talks loads about this about like you know household tales right being like yeah. um, they have to be told within the household and she makes loads of interesting links between like you know so many fairy tales have like you know and this happened and then this like a kind of re- the repetitive yeah. You know, cycle someone encounters someone on a road and then they counter it again the next day and then again the next day. The way fairy tales are structured, and the kind of repetitive nature of household labour, and the fact that these are yeah, stories really told between, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're household tales, they're old wives' tales. Yeah. Again, back to gender here. It's actually, it's not, its these stories aren't quote unquote about women in domestic labour, but they can only be told by women in domestic labour, because that's the labour conditions by which their yeah. fantasies are being fuelled and things like that. And I think we should... I don't know I'm really excited
1: gonna, about the question you're going to ask after yes. this. It's
0: going to be good, isn't it? It's be good. <laughs> well, uh, is... I, I guess like, it, it, we've, it's one of the themes we're talking about here, which is that um, uh, the labour conditions, the material world in which these artists are working within, the fact that Henson functions as a community, things like that, these are all part of the story yeah. of what makes something imaginative um people and people think fantasy is this kind of what you do is you sit and you just oh i'm going to imagine a world and like that i mean that, therefore therefore it's this sca- this escapist kind of vacuum yeah. right but actually
2: it's, it's work as well it's work yeah <laughs>
0: it's work and it's and it's related to it's not it's not based on reality no it's related to reality yeah I'll shut up now but like I always like say to my students that's, that stupid caption that they put in front of the film is like you know inspired by true events like well that's yeah. that's all stories ever <laughs> like the Wizard of Oz is inspired by true events mm. in the unperson. <laughs> had some true events, then was inspired and wrote a story. So, like, so all fiction, all fantasy has a, has a tangible link to yeah. the world in which you're living in. But it doesn't necessarily have to be about that world for it to have that link. Coming okay, yeah. towards the end, actually. So before we talk a little bit about the exhibit and the other uh, mm. fans, um, fantastical, not pun intended, uh, things within it, are there any final notes you've got, Chris, that you want us to talk about?
1: No animation
0: on you for your
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think there are certain films within within your timeline of special effects that are, and this is one of those. This is it, and and in many ways, you would know more about this than me. But the the sort of there's something again potentially. I don't know, quite political mm-hmm. about if Hollywood is moving or the industry is moving into digital technology, this is quite a nice... I mean, there are different forms of image making. So obviously the puppets, we spent a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I also wrote down holograms, question mark, at the end where you have oh, these yeah, sort of like Pepper's F- Ghosts. Yeah, you have these yeah. sort of... Okay. And, I, and I'm increasingly interested in holograms and like going to see Aberon tour and things like this and, and kind of posthumous holograms and this sort of stuff. But I was thinking about, again, this is another... The prioritizing of one kind of special effect in a movie like The Dark Crystal maybe tips the scales away from some other interesting visual effects and the use of light and the reflections of these sort of like if, uh, kind of ghostly bodies. And I was thinking about, yeah, Pepper's Ghost and sort of lineages. Going back to this point about genealogies, that fantasy is you can trace themes, but you can also tra- trace these technologies of fantasy. That technologies these reproductive technologies allow us to sort of see where fantasy is this space where technology is often prioritized, both in front and behind the camera. You can kind of trace those interesting lineages. So I just put yeah, I don't really know whether that I just put holograms effect oh, at the end. Pepper's oh, ghost.
0: Yeah. I hadn't realised they were holograms. I yeah. don't, I don't know, know what they are, but don't they know have how the they did No, that. I don't know how it's... they
1: did that. But it's, but that's interesting because I think all, you've both spoken about the makings of. Yeah. it's interesting that these are really, again, political spaces where they're not going to tell you how that's made, no. because that's not interesting. Yeah. The puppets are interesting because it's Jim. H- so there are also these registers of like disclosure, the things that you are supposed to know about fantasy. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and maybe the museum, sort of the, the, the idea of the kind of the curation, the museum space, is, is functions like everything is curated. Disney curates its own history. Jim, Jim Henson curates the own way that we're supposed to engage with his movies. Yes. We don't know anything about the Peppers ghost, thing, and who cares? But we like yeah. to know about the puppets, and I find that interesting. These registers doesn't of Im- invisibility there, no? doesn't yeah. quite. But that's that's we we like. We always teach our students to lean into the chaos, so it's chaotic that we don't know how this is made. But that's okay.
0: It's it's actually a really good moment because actually it's the one moment because the, the crystal starts glowing at that yeah. point. It's the one moment where we might get something towards traditional yeah. animation, and it's the it's interesting because it's the moment things get particularly odd and ethereal <laughs> yes. and, and otherworldly on screen and. Uh, well, I remember. There's that line, isn't there? Was it in our arrogance we shattered the crystal? Yeah. I've always wondered what the hell that means. Yes. Were they like yeah. having a piss up or something? And like <laughs> in our arrogance, I pu- poured yeah. some beer over it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And <laughs> who got that? Who brought that traffic home? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's always bugged me. What does that mean? I <laughs> always found them
2: really unsatisfying as a child. That the so it's when the the, um, the, the Skeksis yeah. and the Mystics kind of blend back into single beings instead of being split halves. And they are so weird looking that I was like, I don't know what to make of this. Like, what, like octopus
0: faced. Like, yeah, um, like
2: very tall, kind of glowing white. Um, uh, like genderless. But I guess there are, there's lots of genderless figures in yeah. this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I but, don't know. And, and uh, they
0: feel not of the world. They feel
2: not of the world, yeah.
0: Um, and I guess that and technolo- technolo- I don't know exactly how they were made, but they're technologically not of the world in the sense yeah. that there's clearly something going on, whether it's just a kind of set of back projections or yeah. some- Something's going on yeah. with the image there to make it not quite as felt and tangible as the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Why do that then? Is it a case of like, we talked a lot about the kind of one, part of the pleasure of this, the kind of imperfection of it, the googly eyes stuck on the, yeah. on the on the on the monsters. This is an imperfect world. It says that in the plot at the beginning, right? This is a fallen world. This is a world... With a shard missing, uh, yeah. So it's a bit too. Once it go, once it's fixed,
2: they kind of beam away, and then yeah. you will just let, it's just the two, the two gelflings and Fizz yeah yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What they're gonna get up to now? Yeah yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, 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 Well, I guess like that's 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 why the the sequel is a prequel. Yes, um, exactly. Uh, what you, I guess we haven't got to talk about like what did you think of the of the Age of Resistance. Yeah. There's I, absolutely no way Chris has seen this. I just want to look and just check. It's so no, I mean, we have a conversation now
1: about. Quick nod 80% of recognition. Of the
0: things you won't understand, but that's fine. Yeah, what it's, do you think? it's great. Yeah, I, I mean they use terrific. loads
2: of the same techniques, and it really shows. But there's some like subtle enhancements. Yeah. That,
1: uh, How does it fit in relation to world building? Because I'm I'm interested in in this idea of world building, and and obviously, if everything is is puppetry in in something like Dark Crystal, then it risks homogenizing the world and so you have these moments of effect can animated films have special effects yes they can even though the whole thing is an effect yes they can um how does the age of resistance fit in with the world building does it sort of because obviously prequels that's part of their job as well they have to not destabilize the world they they have to extend it and so, yeah. does it, does it, how but does think, that work?
2: I think it worked really well because they'd already designed way more than they needed for the film. Oh, right, so right. they could just use all of that. So there's bits of the world that you don't see in the film that then that you can kind of explore in Age of Resistance. Um, and that's one of the. Kind of wonders of the amount of work that goes into this kind of thing that it it leaves loads of spaces that you can fill in later and mm. that's what loads of fan fiction does and yeah. that's exactly what they did with Age well, of Resistance.
1: But actually that's that's the other thing that writing on fictional worlds they always the, the, the good stuff on fictional worlds is that fictional worlds are supposed to be incomplete because they're supposed yeah. to not that the reason the reason why the fictional world of of Toy Story is so convincing is because there is information that is known to everybody and to some, and to, so. Buzz Lightyear doesn't know that he's a toy and that's believable because in the world there are people that don't know things. It'd be weird if everybody knew things. And so it's about kind of these yeah different registers of knowledge and different hierarchies of knowledge and stuff like this. So worlds are always supposed to be incomplete and partial Mm -hmm. so that you can, because you can only see parts of them but they can can hint at like, in rear window is a perfect example. Everything happens in... But that alleyway, the most interesting bit of rear window is not what happens in the rooms. It's the little slither of the alleyway where people go past and you're like, well, some, something's happening over here yeah. and I can't... So worlds, are, fictional worlds are always supposed to be incomplete, whether that's because they can't build the rest... They didn't have money to build the rest of the street uh, or they're supposed to be things that, that occur in your mind that's supposed to be denoted and then you connote things from that. And it feels like fantasy is really... Like, fantasy and animation has to has to do that. It's all kind of connotative. It's all partial. But again, that's okay. Like, fictional was supposed yeah. to be incomplete. Just was to fill in the... And the fan thing, I guess, is important to that as well. Like, fan fiction, as yeah. you said. Like,
0: and and I, just to say one word about Age of Resistance, because I, I think it's fabulous, is that it does such a good job at playing with everything you just said, Chris, and you've said, Tanya, but also the, the kind of politics of perception of a world. And I think it's actually a really interesting... Um, you know not to go too kind of ugly, uh, but i genuinely think it's a really interesting discussion of like post-truth of like you yeah know, it's, it's it's very more about
2: society it's, and yeah
0: it's really i i loved it and i was ashamed that um i think it did fine didn't it but it's a very costly thing and all this kind yeah. of stuff but hey but in 20 years they'll do something else because that's how it works isn't it it, it was um it was
2: 2019 wasn't it as well so i'm sure covid kind of like yeah. factored into the it being cancelled but yeah sure, I would love it if they would do more
0: Mm. You have pages of notes, Tanya. Which yeah. not not I all guests like- bless us with notes. So, uh, is there anything no, that we haven't mentioned that you really would like to? Uh, yeah, the notes almost look like they what they are <laughs> designing a world. I can't see what they would say. But Stick those in script. the exhibit. Yeah, bit. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, is there, have you got a favourite bit? Maybe that's a good. We yes. often ask like visual okay. effects artists or animators. Is there a bit that they really like to work on? Whether it's your favourite bit because it's brilliant, or animators often go, I really hate that sequence because it took me a year to do that, 10 seconds. But is there a bit that you think kind of encapsulates the yes. film? It can be a sequence or it can be like a small moment. Yeah.
2: I think my favourite bit as a child was the bit where he literally put heals the crystal. Mm-hmm. Jen heals the crystal. Um, my favourite bit watching it as an adult, I think is the orrery, which I did also love as a child because I just loved the way it moved. So it's like a kind of giant... Um, model of the solar system but way way more complicated than our solar system and it kind of moves so beautifully almost like it's back to this kind of idea of like movement being Mm. so important to the whole film um yeah. I just think it's such a beautiful sequence and that's the bit with the Ogre in it as well and she's
0: awesome. So yeah. <laughs> Classic. <Perfect>. Yeah. <laughs> I I can I, two bits for me. I like um I like the fact there are three shards. So he has to find the oh, shard yes, have to. Yeah, And yeah. she gets out three and he has to find the right one. That makes me always think what the, what are the other two then? Where do yeah. they go. Random crystals. The back to world building. And then there's yeah. a line in it where they're like in the where he meets Kira. We're talking about Kira oh, yeah. like the about Kira, the the, the female gelfling um um there's another conversation to be had about that in a different podcast. But uh they're in, they meet in the swamp, don't they? And they, yeah. and she does this like thing to get him out of the swamp. Yes. And she makes this like call and this creature like toad like thing like lifts him out of the swamp and then kind of goes back in and he's like, What's that? And she just goes, It's just a nebri. And that's, and then, and that's no, the no, only... No. That's it, like... No, yes. but then in, so, in the
2: next so. scene, the Skeksis are eating what? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, roasted <laughs> Nebri. Like, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the next part, prequel needs to be about the story of the Nebri uh, race yeah. and, uh, and where they came from. And yeah. where um, they came such a delicious, roasted uh, accompaniment <laughs> to Skeksis dinners, yeah.
2: My other favourite bit is... Um, Kira rescues Jen by like suddenly unfurling these wings that you didn't know she had, wow. and then he's like, "Well, I don't have
0: wings." And yeah, she's you like, don't. Well, of course not. You're your a boy. boy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I like. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that's that and the hologrammy bit are my favourite bits. I liked that. I don't have wings. Of course not. You're a boy because I was like, "How does gender play it?" So the 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 yeah. academic in me came rising to the <laughs> surface. Um, but yeah. So I, but I liked yeah I liked the sort of like Peppers go, the the so they the, what are they the Euskeks the angel yeah that. Because because it made me think about sure. the different ways that I have thought about this film and the the immateriality of that, I thought that was quite fun. Oh, cool. Anyway.
0: Let's ask you just a couple of questions about the exhibit more yes. broadly, because people are now hopefully tantalized that there's some fun dark crystal stuff. That is by no means the entire story. So let's just remind everyone it's called Fantasy Realms of Imagination. Yeah. And it runs till the twenty fifth of February. I'm gonna say Correct. that you can get it from from uh, tickets see tickets.com go there and you can get uh, get the tickets there um, I'll say that again at the end of the podcast in case you missed it but give us the give us what what else could we look forward to uh, in the exhibits there um, is so much stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: so um yeah we've tried to tell the whole history of the <laughs> fantasy genre in about a hundred exhibits so that's a massively challenging task but um, I'm really proud of it uh so we kind of trace the roots of fantasy from the oldest forms of storytelling so we look at folktale fairy tale um epics from the ancient world and what they've all lent to modern fantasy how fantasy is kind of constantly drawing on these like older threads to weave a kind of a new a new work um and then we look at uh kind of fantasy in the weird and how uh the kind of Kind of weird and uncomfortable feelings can give you a a sense of wonder, Uh, and then the exhibition concludes with a section that looks at the history of world building, which is where the dark crystal material Mm -hmm. appears, and also on fan culture and how fan culture is kind of like a world in its Mm. in its own self, but also transforms um, kind of canonical fantasy into new worlds that constantly regenerate.
0: Really, Um, it's yeah, it's a really great, and then you know, for film fans, there's a There's some Lynchian stuff in there, David Lynch, so I won't spoil it uh, for those who want to see it, but yeah, it's a really, it's a, and the kind of, the the structures of the fantasy, so you go through, what is it, ancient folk tales, fairy stories, gothic horror, weird fiction, uh, world building, I'm probably forgetting one or two, but the kind of, the way you structure it, it's not chronological, it's it's not chronological, it's kind of, of...
2: it's kind of themes Mm. and yeah, taking, taking these threads that lead you through the genre, um, Cause we wanted people to be able to make connections between like ancient and yeah. new all of the t- all the way through uh, and we also didn't want it all to be very kind of high culture so there's a real like mix of um kind of modes of t- of telling stories as well
1: wow. yeah so it's kind of like recovering not, I wouldn't say lost fantasy, but kind of yeah. inspiring people said to make those connections. But doing so, again, through this act of recovery, saying actually that, that the, these things need to be and could be seen together, or deserve yeah. to be seen together as yeah. well.
2: Yeah, so we've got like um, the our medieval manuscript of uh, Sir Grain and the Green Knight, which is one of the library's great treasures. And then that's opposite, a case that looks at the sword and sorcery boom in the mid-20th century. Yep. And, and what those two things tell you about what it is like being a hero. Uh, and there's a clip of Xenia Warrior Princess in there yeah. as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, getting people to kind of reassess this idea that heroes have to be a certain way, um, and actually, fantasy's complicated that ever since uh, medieval. Film.
1: So it's doing what fantasy films do then, which is that fantasy heroes look don't have to look a specific way. Yeah, that's exactly. what fan- I feel like. Fantasy does that a lot. You're basically doing yeah. you've modelled, fan- you know, the, you're telling the story of fantasy, but you're you you are telling a fantasy narrative because yes. you're yeah
0: yeah, and there's some really cool maps. Yeah, and there's some really cool maps. Yes. Cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. So to remind everyone, that's
0: fantasy. You can get your tickets at fantasy see tickets uh, and they're available to the twenty fifth of February. So snap them up while you can. Um, yeah, I'd really recommend it. I um, had the pleasure of looking around it a few weeks ago, and um, it's 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 really it is both dense and light at the same time, depending on how one engages with it and how one chooses to engage with it, and that's a real amazing skill. So so. Good to, Congratulations, he claps silently into the <laughs> microphone so as not to destroy his pop filter. Yes, i was gonna say um, to, yeah. to,
1: to avoid you having to muck around with the sound filter and sound levels, whatever. yeah.
0: Otherwise, uh Tanya, thanks so much for for geeking out with us on the dark about the dark crystal and and, no problem. and, and yeah, telling us a bit of the world building there. I think um there's some fascinating stuff to think about, it's such a great movie, we can really do it justice, but hey, what can you do with it? There's so
2: much you could say, yeah. so on? much you can There's say. Yeah. Can say. Um, I will say one final quick plug, which is Please that see. we have an accompanying book with the exhibition, which is called Realms of Imagination. Um, and the final, essay, so it's a collection of essays um, from all different uh, kinds of writers. So some are kind of creative practitioners, like authors, um, artists, uh, and some are more kind of academic based. And they're all kind of given given different perspectives on the genre. And the final essay in the book is by Wendy Froud, who uh, created the Gelflings for Lord, um, Lord of the Rings for the Dark Crystal. Um, and it's just a really lovely, beautiful account of um, the pro- her processes and a kind of personal look behind the film.
0: Okay. And the book bu- The book is called
2: Realms of Imagination. Realms of Imagination. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Terrific. Okay. And can be purchased wherever you buy yes yeah.
1: Wherever you buy books, (laughs) Um, we're at the British Library. (laughs) They sort of have some here. Unbelievable.
0: (laughs) Um, Great. Thank you, Tanya, for for coming on the show. Really, really, appreciate it. You can follow us at fantasy animation.org and access the archive of podcasts and blogs uh, there. You can follow us on all the social medias. No matter what they're called, uh, or who buys them, yeah. or who buys them at uh, in Research, F A N A N I M Research. Um, and you can suggest uh, future footnote episodes at the same thing. Yeah, we should uh, do puppetry and, puppetry and stuff puppetry like that, yeah. yeah. Fanlanding Research, F A N A N I M Research at gmail.com. We'll also put links to um, the, the tickets. As yeah, as yeah, everything Tanya
1: there. said, we will We will hyperlink so people have no excuses not to find you online.
0: Check this out. Yeah. Um, otherwise, that's been us for another week, and we'll see you next time.
1: Bye.